it's not often we get an opportunity to have a conversation of substance with the intent to understand. I recently had the opportunity to listen and seek understanding from Leon R. Walker Jr., an author, veteran creator, public speaker, and a narcissist. I invite you to listen with an open mind as I did, while Leon shares vulnerable memories and raw truths about his life and losses as a narcissist. Let's get started. Hey, hi. <laughs> you know, it's it's really awkward to talk by yourself on these things. Have you ever done video is different than a live, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. But you have to all talk to a group of people. That's all you got to do. Okay. Well, I, I'm going to, you know what? This is really kind of interesting well, because I'm still new at this as far as I've done videos and videos. Um, I've done a couple of lives, but always with somebody else. And then one occasion I've done one by myself. Yeah. Um, so the one that I did by myself, I actually shared my story. Um, and that was the first time I ever publicly, verbally said everything that a lot of things that had happened with me. And uh, I still have that video. I put it up on YouTube. That was quite a scary moment for me, but it was a very empowering thing to do. Right. Um, something I encourage everybody to do. Not You don't have to get on video to share it, but at least share your story. And to me, that's um, that's part of why we're here today. Yeah. Is to talk about each other's stories, um, for me to understand yours more, to you know that that's that's why I contacted you. It's just basically to seek more of an understanding um, of where some of my abusers were coming from, possibly knowing that their story is not yours and vice versa. Right, right. But at least to have an in-depth, um, an in-depth knowledge and understanding, just a total understanding. Um, to help release some further, deeper resentments, like even towards my father. Yeah. Um, I, I missed his funeral. Well, my husband, long story behind that, but um, I'm still unsettled as to what I feel um, about him and the abuse that I received from him. What's, so, that? what's that? From your dad? Mm-hmm. Yeah, from oh. my father, from my um, from my first husband. Um <laughs> from my second long-term relationship, you know, I'm still kind of working through some of those resentments. And so to me, this conversation today um, is going to be helpful to me. And I think it's also going to be helpful to people who are listening in um, so that they can get a better understanding and, and, and know that recovery is possible completely. I believe it's 100% possible. What so I'm now for the... What I learned in, in therapy is that, just like you, which maybe you haven't done yet, you have to learn how to forgive those people. That was the hardest thing for me to do, to forgive my perpetrator. Um, and I did that because you have to understand, they had issues too. Somebody passed something down to them. And that's what I learned in this book I was reading. It's called Intergenerational Transmission of Family Violence, where they hurt you, they harm you, they disrespect you, they bully you, they beat you, they uh, forget about you, you know, they push you mm-hmm. to the and you have a lot of regret and because of the neglect. And it's just like, how could you do me like this? The first people that we are 
we trust our, you know, our, our leaders, our parents, our loved ones. And then those sometimes, a lot of times, are the first people that hurt and harm us. And you can never figure out a way. Why should I, why should I forgive them if they beat me up, they raped me, they molested me? But then once you do, once you do forgive them, it took me a lot of, a long time to do that share. I didn't know how to forgive. And I was like, I'm not forgiving them. You know, they made me who I am. And so the act of forgiving is very, very hard to do, but it's very, very liberating. And so that's something that you got to do uh, because you hold on to what they did to you. You hold on to what somebody else did to them. And that could go back a hundred years. Okay. Mm. My mother was, my mother was raped when she was like 17. And so she had a lot of anger and a lot of agony and her and her mother didn't get along because she never told anybody about it. She told me when I was a kid. And so my mother held that for a long time. My mother didn't teach me about forgiveness. She, she taught me more about holding on to anger and being very vindictive. I'll tell you that much because my mother can be very vindictive and manipulative. She's deceased now. Very strong woman, but she had a vindictive trait that was passed down to me. I'm not saying my father didn't pass it down to me either, but my mother definitely did. I did that by researching my parents, my learning about my mother's past through my sister and through my mother. And so by the time I really started understanding my mother, she had already passed away from her addiction to crack. But it wasn't too late because I knew what was passed down to me and why it was passed down to me through her uh, from people in the, set, in the in the 30s and the 40s. And so that stuff is passed down and we hold on to it. We harbor it. And it affects us who we are and it affects us in relationships. So you have to forgive as hard as it may be. And it's like you might, no, they shouldn't have t- taken my virginity. They should have did this. You have to forgive them. If not, they're going to rent space in your head for the rest of your life. Is forgiveness to you, is forgiveness to you the same as understanding? Or is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's why I said you have to understand what happened to them. My okay. Mother, and that, and that's where I'm running into problems because. My, 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 your dad never got therapy. Your no. Dad never got therapy. So how are they going to say, hey, Cher, I love you. I'm sorry. They don't know how to do that. Right. I, to do that in any of my relationships because I didn't have therapy. I didn't have somebody to sit down that was unbiased and that could listen to me, but at the same time give me constructive criticism, criticism somebody that I was able and willing to listen to and say, okay, you know what? You're right. You're not going to listen to your perpetrators. You're not going to listen to your brother's sister. They're like, oh, Sherry, get over it. I have people mm-hmm. tell me, man, my, my uncle touched my balls too. Get over it. And I'm like, what? And so that was the first person I said, I'm not going to talk to you. But when I talked to my therapist, she said, well, do you know whatever happened to your your uncle? And I was like, nope. Right. Because he was considered gay or bisexual, whatever, okay? And so he was touching other guys, and then he touched me. There was never any penetration, but he was touching me. You're not supposed to touch men, little boys, men either, whatever. Right. That's what you do in a different world, whatever. But you don't, as a grown man, older man, you don't touch little boys. And so I was angry with him, but she said, do you know what happened to your uncle? I'm like, nope. So maybe if he got help, therapy, or healing, or if somebody called him out, or if he got help, he may not have done that to me. Maybe if my mother got help, she may not have been had the vindictive trait that she had, because I, I was very vindictive, very, and it felt good to be vindictive. Right. Um, so with me, with I, end, I have reached a point of understanding, um, understanding anyways to the to the aspect of. I don't know what happened to my father. He was raised in a military um, school all of his life. And he didn't have the uh, the attention of his mom. I kind of understand that he was probably trying to love me the best way that he knew how. However, I don't understand 
um, I grew up learning that love is sex. Me too. Love and, love and sex are the same. So anybody who told me those words, I love you, well, okay, I guess this means now that, you know, this is, you, you care for me. Um, but then when the sex would stop, that would mean in my mind the love would stop. There was a whole lot of convoluted thinking. However, my father is no longer around, so I'm having to find closure. Um, I'm having to find closure without that ability to um, to talk to, to share the story, to dissect the story with, uh, with my mother, with my father. So I kind of feel at a disadvantage, which was one of the reasons why I found it so interesting that I was I was drawn to your story because I thought, wait a minute, there's so many parallels here. We're both survivors. We're both warriors in our own right. Um, and I just felt like that if I could have a conversation that could bring us from both sides of the street, um, then somewhere in there I can find some under, some deeper understanding and some more forgiveness um, and uh, drop some of the resistances that I'm having, so to speak. Resistances, well, the resistances are um, not blaming myself. Right. And I'm if, still dealing with that. Yeah, if you don't act like them, they gave you what was given to them, okay? Or yeah. they gave you what wasn't given to them. So don't blame them. Don't. You got to think about it like this. You're finger pointing. We don't finger point. We learn how not to finger point because you still. Right. I was still doing the same thing. And then when I stopped doing this, and it's like, wait a minute, let me, well, let me understand what happened to them. Not saying that what they did was right, no. But mm-hmm. have I ever forgiven them, right? Did they forgive their perpetrators? So it goes back, like I said, it could go back 100 years. Let's yeah, just, we just don't know. Yeah, I'm 56, so mines go, mines go back 80, 90 years, easy. And think about what you're holding on to from 1940, 1950, something that was done to your husband as a child and then he did it to you or what, what what his father did for him or didn't do for him or did to or didn't to do to him it was passed mm-hmm. to you and you embraced it you got you received it you were shot okay and then you went on with your life well this is love no and then when you meet somebody that shows you real love you're like wait a minute i wasn't getting that it's not it's their fault but it's not their fault so you got to understand yeah. what happened you know? yeah and the, the, the generational trauma i get that I get it completely. Um, what I don't get is at what point then do we start? I feel like so a big part of me feels like mental illness is it's it's not it's like it's t- us turning on ourselves. The depression, the anxiety, all of those things that we're do- that we're experiencing. I feel like that that's turning shame and anger on ourselves. It's like we're still blaming ourselves. And I don't know if that's the right analogy or not, but sometimes that's what it feels like. Well, you know, the regret of, of not being able to protect yourself or people not protecting you. So we still go internal with that. And I had mm-hmm. to because do that, you're going to go into your next relationship with your guard up. You're going to go into your next relationship not trusting people. You know, you're yep. going to your next relationship not wanting to open up. And I did that for 32 years. My entire naval career, I carried everything forward instead of understanding who I was and why I was doing what I was doing. And then I ruined great relationships. I ruined great women. I did mm-hmm. a record show, and they said, well, how do you know when you have the right woman? I always had the right woman. They had the right man, the wrong man, and me. Yeah. So you got to let this. So when you, hurt, when you harbor those things, you, you start to get sick on the inside. 
uh, again, the trust goes away. You're always hurting. You're always thinking. You're always negative, And you become very, very insecure about yourself and then about the current relationship, if you have one. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, let go of it. No, and actually, current relationships, no, I'm terrified of them. <laughs> To be honest with you, I um, and that's tough to admit. I you always tell myself, but you know, I find excuses to not have a relationship. Right. Uh, typical, typical of, you know, survivor thriver. It's it's just very typical. We make excuses. We find ourselves very busy. Um, you know, we dive into taking care of family, like me. I'm taking care of my grandson. What else? Um, so I, I always find all these excuses and reasons to not do the relationship, um, partly because of, you know, I just today, as I learned from um, my uh, my mentor, uh, facilitator, um, we were talking about trust without trusting, trust, just trust without trusting and, uh, you know, come at it strategically, which that's a whole new concept with me. And it's like the third time we've covered this and it's very, very difficult. So how did you? A good question for you. How did you get to that point where you realized that, okay, the only way I'm going to get past this, what was the first step you took? By realizing that I was allowing other people to control my mind. Because Talk about that more. Go into that deeper. Because I, like you said, I found an excuse to do what I was doing and not, not be 100% in the relationships, not be totally committed. I was okay with cheating because it made me feel good. You know, I was okay with doing a lot of negative things because it, it filled my, it, it fed my demons and it filled my voids. And so I got tired of living for somebody else and not living for myself. I realized that I have more potential to do things. And the Navy helped me out. That's why I stayed so long. The Navy helped me out because the Navy held me accountable. The Navy didn't baby me. The Navy didn't, if there was something wrong with me as a child and I talked to somebody, most times in the military, the younger guys, we talk about it, they would laugh at me. Oh, I would laugh at them. And so it was like, man, this is, it, how bad is it? Is it really that bad? Why am I holding on to it? They're like, come on, walk, get over. We got to, we got to go out to see. We got to get prepared. We're going to the Persian Gulf. We got to deploy. I didn't have time to think about the things that weren't even there anymore. Those people, the emotions were there, but they were still controlling me. But those people, mm -hmm. whoever did what they did to me, I said, I got to let this, and I didn't know about forgiving then, but it was holding me back. I realized that it was, they were holding me back. My broken childhood, broken down childhood, my parents divorced, my mother being beat, my father being angry, my mother being vindictive, all of this. I was like, it was just draining me. I got tired of holding on to that crap for no reason. And a lot of times when we think about negative things, we put too much energy into it. And some of those things don't even exist. We just create them because we're hurt. We have pain. We want to get people back. We want to, we want to avoid people. We want to ignore people. And so I had this, it was just killing me. It was, it was just killing me. It was wearing me down and, it would stop me from moving forward. So I said, enough of this. I started shedding every little thought. And this was, well, this was before therapy. So I knew that if I give myself therapy, I can succeed in therapy with somebody that, that's clinically qualified to treat me, to talk to me. But by the time I went to therapy, I had all my answers answered, but I didn't know how to release and let go. I was doing it, but it was still coming back. But there's, there was, I didn't have, I should not have any, had any room for my past to haunt me going forward and this right. my 50s i'm 56 it kept haunting me and i'm like i'm tired of this so i realized that it was taken away from my potential it was holding me down it was holding me back like a lot of women are i talked to a lady last night she was saying well so what should i do she knows that the guy has another woman she knows that the guy doesn't like her she knows that he doesn't love her 
I said, as long as you've given him that supply, whatever it is, he's going to keep coming back. So, Leon, what should I do? Stop supplying him. So I had to stop supplying my own mind with the negativity of the people mm -hmm. I knew that didn't love me, didn't care about me, that abandoned me, that abused me. I had to stop supplying myself with that. I had to get over my anger. And once I got over my anger, I found more happiness. I was baby. Mm -hmm. I was talking, you talk, I'm telling you, I was happy, very successful. When I started studying my parents and realized who I really was and how I could use what I, what I have instead of using it in a malicious way, my career took off. That's beautiful. Yeah. That is beautiful. Did you ever see yourself as, and you type, I've got to go to your book for a second. Okay. Broken. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that cover, by the way. Um, but what struck me was the word broken. And would you talk a little bit about why you chose that word? So for, for many years, I thought about being hurt, being harmed, not being able to move forward, um, being angry, being vindictive, being jealous, being insecure. And I'm like, man, that's the, I feel this, this is the pain. And so that's how I came up with that word. I was broken. But I figured out that I wasn't broken. I was broken down to my purest form. And from that form, the only way to go for me was up. So I started telling myself, you just, nobody broke you. Nobody can break you unless you allow them to, to, to break you. And you believe that they have the ability and the power to break you. They don't. They can break you down all the way down, but you're still there as a human being, as a person, as God created us. And I'm not even a biblical guy, but I believe in God. But once they broke me, I figured, I said, they broke me all the way down. I look around, nobody's here to help me. You know, what am I going to do with my life? Okay, now I start having all the positive thoughts. I can only go up from here because I'm at my purest form of being low. I hit my, my own personal rock bottom. And once you hit your own personal rock bottom, you have nowhere to go but up. Now you have a way to choose other people that you want in your life instead of other people choosing to put you in their life, rather be child molesters, sex offenders, abusers, bullies. They chose to put me in their life. I was a kid, and all I had to do was go in that direction. But once I got broken down to my purest form, they had done everything they could possibly do, Cher. There was nothing else they could do to harm, harm me or hurt me, hurt me. And so once I – and now you can do that as a human being. Anybody can do it. Break yourself down, or if you're broken down, realize that, okay, this is where I'm at right now. It's time for me to start over. It's time for me to have a clear mindset. It's time for me to start selecting better people in my life. It's time for me to start thinking better, eating better, you know, wanting more out of life. And so when you've broken down to your purest form, you have no way else to go but up. And that was my goal right there. I'm here. I'm broken. I'm broken. I'm broken. All right, let's start over. I'm cleansed. And so that was my, my way of up from there. And I, I think like that to this day. Did, did, where did vulnerability play into that? For you, because I, I experienced that moment as well of being broken. That's when I, I tried to take my life. Um, but to me, that was my lowest. Mm -hmm. So at what point did you start to realize, okay, I've, I've got these feelings? Because here again, I'm going to go back to your book. This is something you and I had talked about, which is I noticed that when you were writing it, as I was reading through the book, there was a lot of, there was emotion that was missing. You were telling the story. You were sharing that story. And in very, sometimes in very vivid detail, the same way that I would share when I was detached from my own emotions. And I noticed that in your book until the end. So at what point did you get to that vulnerability that just says, okay, I've really got to open this up. I have to open this heart space up. So it started in 2016 when a friend of mine who's a minister, he said, 
hey, why don't you write a book about your life? And I'm like, man, there's no way. I'm not telling this story. I was terrified. And so, <laughs> and so I started writing, and I wrote for from June 6th to August 11th of 2016. I wrote for like 59 days. I had 1,000 pages, and I was like, okay, what do I do next? And once I found, once I found the courage to send it to an editor, at first I'm like, oh, man, somebody's going to read this stuff. And then she started reading, and she's like, Leon. Oh my God! What the hell? How do you? How did that? Blah blah blah. You know, and that's when I started saying, you know what? And she said she was a psychologist. She said this book will help a lot of people, and that's when I became extremely vulnerable because I was holding on to it, right? And I was watching people go through life like I was going through life, but I wasn't helping them, and I knew that I could. I would watch them walk by. These are people that work for me with their head down, crying, being abused, being cheated on, being divorced, and I've been through all of that. And I'm like, I can help these people. And so I put the book out. It wasn't to make money. I, I care less one person bought the book, but I want somebody to hear and, and go forward and help keep somebody alive and keep prevent somebody from committing suicide like I wanted to twice, you know. So my vulnerability, I found that it made me stronger instead of weaker. It made me more transparent, and people are addicted to transparency. They need transparency. They need help. They want to pick up a newspaper or a book to read in their closet or in their bedroom. And I found that the more people read my book, the more they were like, you know what, okay, I can do this. I can I can stay alive. You know, people do love me. People do like me. I, I am important, you know. And so mm -hmm. I want to tell people, hey, this is who I was. And then ultimately, imagine a kid peeing in the bed from kindergarten to the seventh grade, okay, sucking my thumb. That's when my teeth are big now, right? I stopped brushing my teeth. My parents got divorced. A kid that was molested, raped, bullied. Uh, lost our house, parents got divorced, wanted to commit suicide. You know, imagine a kid like that, all of a sudden, I, I served the Navy for 32 years, and I'm leading hundreds of thousands of people. People don't think that you can do that from, from coming from But you can. You can do That's why people, that's why we have so much, so many people on drugs, so many people that are child molesters or, or, or murders because they never, they never figure out who they really are or what they can be. They stay right in that environment. People say, you're a product of your environment. That's right. But you know what? I'm 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 productive now. I was a product of my environment. People yeah. hope because it becomes comfort to go smoke crack or meth or do heroin because it feels so good because it blocks them out from the reality. Like my mom, her crack was to keep her from reality. And so my vulnerability was me understanding and knowing that I can help other people. I'm a simple dude. I'm not. See, I'm not smart. I tell people, my friends, like Leon, don't say that. No, it's the truth. I am not a smart person. You know what, though? I'm passing, I'm driven, and, and I'm aware. And so, That's the ticket yeah, right there. I'm aware. To get into the Navy, it took me, I had to pass the ticket test five times. I failed it four times. I'm not smart, but I know what's going on in this world. I know what's going on with me and other people. I pick up on people's personalities, their traits. I pick up on people, you know, how to uh, in, in, in inspire people. I know how to do that, Cher. I know how to do it really good. It's a gift that I have. But for a, long, for a long time, I didn't share that with anybody. So being vulnerable is a gift that I can put in front of people about me and say, hey, this is who I was and this is who I become. Do you feel that you're vulnerable? Um, there's a word that I'm looking for here against, um, not defenseless, but vulnerable against. Say, what, what would happen if you met another narcissist? What would happen if... Have you been involved with other narcissists or other people who were just so completely self-absorbed yeah, so, um, that it just took you aback? I mean, yeah, I've been involved with, I think, I think it was like maybe three or four ladies that were, they were never diagnosed, but since I was, I know what to look for. I know what the, know the traits are. And okay. it's horrible to date somebody just like. <laughs> <laughs> I 
can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> At first, I was like, what the hell? How did you do that? He went. I'm calling. And, I, and so I believe, truly believe God put that one. Those women in front of me say, hey, Leanne, here's a mirror for you, buddy. This is what you women through. And I was like, damn, that was I'm like, I these, these women doing it to me. I'm like, I want to flip them off. I'm like, it was driving me crazy, Sarah. But I met probably three or four women I actually dated. And I was like, I had enough of you. I can't take this, you know. So they like, all right, leave. I don't care. And I was, I was like, what? And that was saying the same thing to me that I was saying to other women. I'm like, how can you say that to me? He's like, well, they didn't care. They were careless. They were heartless. I never want to meet. That's why I said, listen, that's why I tell the truth about my narcissism. I, I put it out there. I'm like, look, you do not want to meet a person like me because I will drive you nuts. I'm not this guy anymore, but I know who I was. I know who I was back then. But <clears throat> that's why my, my videos are so intense. And people are like, your videos scare me. You make my skin crawl. I get all of that stuff. But I said, I'm, I'm glad I scare you. I'm glad. I'm not trying to trigger you. I would rather trigger you in a video than so you get out here with a man that's trying to control you, and he can't, and he puts a trigger to your head, you know? So I want you yeah. to be aware. And women, too. I want the men to be aware that there are women out here that I think women have it easier being a narcissist than men do because women are – it's no disrespect to women, but it's easier for women to lure men in with sex, with their body parts, whether it be their lips, their breasts, their, but whatever, their intellect. And men, we fall for those things because we are visual. You know what I'm saying? We're emotional too, but yeah. we're visual. It's like, ooh, she looks good. She looks tasty. She looks lovely. We, we're done. Next thing you know, we're buying everything. We're paying the bills. We're taking care of their kids, taking our kids. I've been through that too. I got sucked in, but it was I was supposed to meet those women, women to show show me who I was to them, towards them. I know? think, I think so. Ooh. Okay. So. Yeah. Ooh. We'll be right back with more conversations with Leon R. Walker Jr. after this message. Welcome back. Let's get started. So, okay, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can work this out here. I've got this question that's forming in my mind here. So, you coming from the old you, uh, the the old you with your old ways, and you meet somebody like me who is, let's say, 20, 30 years ago, um, still in, heavily in victim mindset, still. Um, Extremely mistrusting, but needing and craving attachment. You know, needing safety, needing to be protected. Um, what makes that type of woman or man? Because there's men out there that you know the same way. What types that make? What makes us a target? It, it makes you a target because first of all, you're needy, and okay. second, when you show up, your emotions are on your sleeves. So I was able to. I hate saying this, but it's the truth. I was able to take advantage of women like that, not in a like, well, a physical way, sexually, because when they show up, their heart is on okay. the. You talk about your emotions, and I'm sitting there just listening because you know I'm a predator when it came to those to those women. You know, not okay. a predator. Okay. And so I, I mastered the art of listening to what a woman needed, what she desired, and what she was missing. I mastered mm -hmm. the art of listening to what she didn't get from her ex boyfriend or ex husband. To me, that was more important because I wanted to be the better man to her. I want to be the better man than her last man. I want to be the better man than all men. And so I needed my ego to be stroked. So in order for my ego to be stroked, in order for me to control her mind, in order for her to put me on the pedestal, I had to give her what she wanted, what she needed, what she desired, what she was missing. And so I would master that. So you all are first, when you show up, you emotionally you try to act like 
you don't want, you don't need these things. But I know better as a narcissist. I know what you want because you try to hold on to it. First of all, you're scared to open up. And little by little, the more I listen, the more I pay attention to you, the more I give you eye contact, you're going to open up more and more. But it, all it is is a trap for you to get hurt again from me because I'm not going to stay around. I'm not going to be committed. I just want you for temporary reasons. I just want you to, for another supply, okay? And I was talking mm -hmm. to a lady last night, and I posted the other day about narcissists, they break away, they leave so easily. You know why they leave and break away so easily? Because they found, not just that they found somebody else, they found somebody else that looks like you, that acts like you. Because they are addicted to those people that they're with. Because of what, rather you cook for them, you wash his clothes, you pick them up, you drop them off, you give them money, whatever, all right? You provide for him. The, when they leave and break away, the reason why it's so easy is because they found somebody just like you. That person can look like you, she can act like you. And I had a woman tell me last night, you're right. He just left me, and then this woman, I see her on Facebook page, she looks just like me. Yeah, that's what they do, because they have to have that continuous supply. That's interesting, because the, the, the one narcissist who affected my life the most, the deepest, wound up, I'm telling you what, wound up stalking me for years after I finally made the break. And um, But initially, the hook was my kid's. I had four kids, and he hooked into all four kids using the "I'm going to be the father you never had" method. You know what? Oh, they hook into your mother because mother has your mother has a lot of access to you. Your dad too. I'm not saying your right. moms have access to their daughters, and if I hook into the mom, I had a I had an innate ability to love other mothers because I I didn't feel that I have I had my own mother's love. Because of her her drugs, so the women that I right. date always connected to their mom. I was attracted to their mom in a nurturing, loving, caring way. So mm -hmm. once we hook into your mom, the mom is going to protect us uh, along with the daughter. So I, I'm I'm family now. Mom's going to take up for me. Where's Leon? And I got that for years. Call Leon. Well, mom, we broke up. So he can still come over here. And then you come okay. back over. Rather, she got a man or not? I didn't care. Your mom said I can come over. I'm coming over. Just my presence alone. I blow the horn from the car, I knock on the front door, I come in, give mom a hug, get some pound cake and walk out. Just my presence alone is going to trigger you, whether you got a boyfriend or not. I wasn't like, yeah. have to fight nothing like that. But if I'm going to come around, eat safe first, you didn't have a boyfriend. Your mom called me or said, call Leon, he can come up when he get ready, even though we're broken up. I'm going to be around the house hovering the whole time. I'm going to be thinking, I know you're going to be thinking about me. Even as bad as I treated you, as, 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 as <clears throat> uncommitted as I was, you still gonna think about me because I'm hooked. I'm attached to your mom, and you like that because you're. It was always about the last guy, the last boyfriend. The last boyfriend didn't talk to your mom. He didn't take. He didn't go to the grocery store with your mom. I did these things not maliciously because I loved other women's mother. I love mothers, right? But I was missing my mother. A lot of men that are narcissists or just broken men miss their mom, and then they wind up marrying a woman like their mom. They create. Wait. Mom. They miss their mom. Okay. Let's 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 stay with that for a second here because you just made something click for me. Um, knowing that my own father, okay, military man, career man in the military, um, he was actually even raised in a military school overseas, and never was around his mom. Very rare visits, so some abandonment issues there. Um, that makes a lot of sense. To me, anyways, what you just said is if, you know, the narcissist will miss their mother. Yep. Yes? Yep. Okay. 
something is clicking here. I'm just trying to figure it out because it, I don't know what exactly what it was, but it was like, wait a minute, that sounds like my dad. And yeah, they don't they don't they don't have a problem abusing women because their mother passively abused them by neglect, dying early, being addicted to drugs. My mother died early being addicted yeah. to drugs. So I wasn't physically abusive. I was verbally abusive. I was emotionally abusive. I was neglectful. I would delete a woman, uh, deplete a woman of what she had or didn't have or what she wanted. I was that's what they call breadcrumbing. I would give her a little bit at a time to keep her around. Uh, it yeah. didn't. It didn't. It didn't cause me to have to work too hard at doing it because I've mastered everything, and I pride my pride myself on that. So I'll give a little bit at a time to keep around. When I know that she's like slipping away, I can sense those things, and I would start going back to my old ways with her, knowing what what she wanted, what she told me she needed in her life, and start bringing her back around. And I would slowly see her start to become uplifting and, and happy again until I got bored with it, and then start breadcrumbing again or disappearing. Disappearing acts. I had that bad. And so I, w- I was very good at keeping a woman around because my mother didn't keep me around. I knew what to do. I knew what to And my, ba- my thing was to, I'm going to hurt every woman that I, com- that I encounter because I was afraid to love. <clears throat> I was afraid to commit. I didn't want anybody latching on to me. But I was doing things that would make a woman latch on to me. And that drives a woman crazy. And then I, poof, I disappeared. It was wrong. It was dead wrong. But I was comfortable with doing that because I was afraid to love afraid to commit because I always thought that woman would leave me. Mm-hmm. Then the relationships were always the same, usually the same types. Oh yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't afford to do anything different. I had to figure okay. out what in the beginning early on because if she's totally different and I can't get to her, I can't control or manipulate her. I'm a, I'm a struggle. Now, I don't like struggle. I want everything to be about me. Everything to be about Leon. So I was comfortable. My game was the same. All I did was go to the next woman and rewound it. Okay. What about, so I guess in relationship to your career, now this is, this is more of a question for my need to understand. Um, do you ever feel like there were two or more different people operating within you? Because you, being in the military, okay, very good. That's where I'm going. You'd have to have your military persona. Oh, yeah, you know, I, that particular leader. Then you have your private Leon and then you have the wounded inner child. Oh, it's always, so, always three, three people. I'm not saying three different personalities. I know I had right. orders, but I always had three people operating inside of me, and I would use them sparing. I would use them when I got ready to use them. I would use them based on the situation I was in. It was not. It wasn't like because I was a senior leader and I was adjusting. Those type of people were really in me. I had innate ability to separate myself from reality at times when it didn't suit me, <clears throat> and act like I didn't do that or I didn't say that. Act like it didn't even happen. Like, what do you mean? What? And I met women like that too, and it just drove me. I'm like. Yeah. So yeah, three different people. Yeah, I've done that. The, the, the disassociation with me has been heavy in the past. I, it's been a while, quite a while actually, since I've been able to do that. But it used to be a pretty regular practice for me to just be able to separate. Um, and I would not remember a whole lot of what I did. You know, what I did, what I said. And this was when I was doing a lot of self harm through um, sex, through prostitution. Um, you had mentioned there was so much of I'm, I'm going to go back to your book again here because there was a lot of detail in the prologue itself that really caught my attention. It triggered me when he started talking about the cheats mess. That is a whole life I know so intimately. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I always say, well, I was raised in the military and then I married the military, then I divorced it, which I did. That was how it went. Um, but I never divorced myself from those memories. And the detail 
It wasn't the emotion that you put into your book, because, of course, we kind of touched on that, that it was a little bit flat until the end. But what was there was the detail. And it's those details that were triggering to me as I was reading it, but I chose to sit through it. Right. I, I sat through it, and I read the details, and I'm like, his life is so much, in many ways, it was similar but um, opposite at the same time because I was being raised in a middle-class white home, military home, um, whereas your upbringing, of course, was different. But when you wrote a line in there about violence could break out at any time in the home. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That grabbed me. And it, I realized, maybe this is going full circle, but I realized at that point that that's why a lot of my um, a lot of my own vulnerability I withhold because I can talk about my story in an overview, but to actually get into the details, I tried to do, doing it in my book, and I think I still have more work to do. Um, but to get into the actual details of how that violence could erupt, there's a lot of things that I just chose to not even think about. You know, like my parents breaking out into these volcanic arguments fights and it didn't matter where it would happen but i they would do it you know or they would just break out and you know backlash one of my one of my brothers or um just anything anything could happen both of my parents were very explosive people yeah um so violence was um that was those details in there were triggering um some of the um the one story that really caught me, though, that um, took me by surprise is you wrote, I'm trying to, I'm going to see if I remembered where I marked it. There was a chapter in there about the um, broken broomstick. Oh, yeah. yeah. And honestly, yeah, the broomstick broke off. When I read this particular line, um I was surprised because it just, you know, you described how you rested for a moment to catch your breath. And I could see that for a second. And then um, the way you described the scene of her death, I have seen dead people. I, I've seen it. I've been around it. Um, but I, I just felt it's like, okay, how much of our lives are both for both of us are still that way? How much do we choose to be vulnerable about and are there other details where we just choose not to feel and is that a part of the effects of the trauma that we've both gone through oh yeah because you you suppress it you shut it down uh and that's what affected me in my relations because my ability in my ability to love and care um i could easily separate myself from it. and that's part of the narcissism because so that scene right there i wasn't really emotional about it but I was angry, but I wanted to tell a story. I'm like, I worked for that lady. And now these dudes in my neighborhood wanted to take my job. They wouldn't. She kept, she hired me. She kept me on. And all of a sudden they killed her. You know, I was, so I, I couldn't get that emotional in that, none of it, because I was just, it was still, still dealing with things. And this was in 2016 when I wrote all of that. I'm like, they took, they couldn't get my job, so they killed her. They, you know, but my emotions, I had to. I had to suppress a lot of them, and it happened again when I was on the USS Stark. And you get a chance, look up USS Stark. It's a ship mm -hmm. 1987 to fight a fire. The other, the team, the ship had already fought the fire, but we had to recover 37 men that had been burned to death or drowned. And I found myself on that ship, and it was still sinking. 
they were pumping the water out of it, but it was still sinking. And we, I'm standing around dead bodies, and I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel any fear. Before I went there, I felt fear. Before I went there, I didn't think I was coming back. I thought we would die on that ship. And so I'm look, look like I'm thinking like, man, these we just looking at dead bodies thrown around from the missile blast, right? And yeah. I can see fingers on the floor, hands just separated from the body. Didn't feel not a thing, nothing. And so I knew something was wrong. But so after, that's when I saw this was in June, May May eighteenth, nineteen eighty seven. That's when I started seeing my first psychiatrist. It was around July, August, somewhere in that time, in that time frame. But, um, I went to see the psychiatrist because we had to go there to decompress based on what we just saw, these 37 bodies. But during my psych, psych psychiatric visit, that's when they started, he started talking about narcissism. And I'm like, I didn't know where he's coming from because I had to go to my, go back to my childhood. He started asking all these questions. I thought I was there to talk about the USSR. start. I was, but he shifted the whole thing. Right, because I told him, I said, he said, well, how do you feel? And I remember telling him, I said, I don't feel anything. He said, but you just, we didn't rescue anybody. They were all burned up to death. He said, you just rescued these men, and you, is there anything you want to talk about? I'm like, nah. How do you feel? I'm like, I don't feel anything. It's over. We got the bodies. We put them in body bags. We shipped them to the deep freezer to another ship. They they pumped the water out of the ship. The ship sailed back to Bahrain and then to Florida, where it was from. They fixed it, and we moved on. And so my, not only did I have, was a narcissist then, I had severe PTSD, but I didn't know it. So for 24 yeah. years, I went through the Navy being successful, getting promoted, leading people. And then I saw my first psych, psychotherapist in December of 2014 because somebody told me I need to go back. And it had been 27 years since I saw a psychiatrist. Now I'm seeing a psychotherapist. And I walked out of her office in December. I said, I just saw in my medical records, I sat in her office for 18 minutes and walked out because I was still avoiding things. I was like, I don't want to hear these things. I want to talk about my past. I want to talk about the ship. The men died. I was just empty. No emotion at all. So I had to go back in January 2015 to see uh, another psychiatrist, and I walked out of her office. And then she sent me to a, a social worker, and that's when it all changed. <laughs> Because it's like psychiatrist, psychotherapist, they couldn't do nothing with me. But the social worker was like, okay, big, bad master chief, you're going to sit your butt down. I was like, huh. I turned into a little boy. Just like, <laughs> But other people handle me. It's like, whoa. I'm like, man, nah, I walked out of that office. But the little, she's about five foot tall, about 100 pounds. She got me. She got me good. So that's when it Was she, do you think she was, um, was kind of like your grandmother or more your mom? She was Your grandmother. Than- she was more like my grandmother, and then she yes. was the grandmother that I, the part of my grandmother that didn't know. My grandmother, I saw love and care for my grandmother, but I didn't see her give that to my mother. But she, the, my, my social worker made me understand my mother, and that's when it clicked. I was like, what? Damn. She said, you can't be mad at your mom, because I've been mad at my mother for 32 years, my whole career. She said, it was a drug that you should be mad at. And I was like, what? Yeah. And then she took me back, and I was like, Yep, she reminded me of like my talking to my grandmother, making me understand my mother because I never got that from my grandmother about my mother, and that's when it changed. A psych, a, a psychiatrist couldn't help me. A psychotherapist right. helped me. Two psychiatrists couldn't help me. These pills that I take don't even help, but it's the conversation, it's the talk therapy that I needed. Okay. I, I just want somebody to listen to me. I want somebody to understand me. I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm running from everybody, you know. But finally, she said, "Okay, let's talk." 
and she was so calm. She was in my doggone soul. I couldn't stand sitting in that lady's office, but I was there for seven months. I kept going back because she would start off, then she would dig in my soul, then she would let me go on a on a higher note. When I walked out of therapy every day, that every week, I felt good. Yeah. And so yeah. I need but people, people avoid therapy. They don't go to therapy. You have to. You should. If not, you're going to keep ruining people's life. Talk about I, – I, okay, so let's, let's talk about the therapy piece for a second. And the inability that so many – there's many, many people who want to be so angry um, at a narcissist, and for good reason. You yeah. know, but, but it, it is <laughs> – there's two schools of thought. Some people say – it's choice, and some people say that um, they can control this. Other people say that they're born this way. What are your thoughts on all of that? Because to me, I look at it from the, the standpoint that this is definitely a mental illness. Um, it's a disorder. It's not anything that you chose. Right. So God doesn't create us this way. We created this way by virtue of being a product of our environment, Okay. Um, traits that are passed down that you can still monitor and manage. We are created this way by other people, by being bullied, being raped, being molested, being beat, being forgotten about, being pushed to the side, being called ugly, stupid, dumb. We are created by other people. God does not create narcissists. He creates us to be loving, caring people, leading, mm-hmm. understanding people. You know, he creates us to be forgiving. That's who we create to be. Now, whatever, what was ever in my mother's DNA and genetics and my father's DNA and genetics that was passed on to me, I got yep. it. But then my life starts, the molestation, the rape, being addicted to porn, being bullied, um, being beat up by my brother, being being bullied by my brother, my uncle, uh, wanting to commit suicide, my parents divorced. Now I'm like, okay, this is what life is all about for me. I have nowhere to go. I'm stupid. I pee in the bed. I suck my thumb. My teeth turned green. I stopped taking baths when my parents got divorced for months. This is who I'm going to be. So it's either, hmm, kill yourself or try to stay around just a little bit longer to see if something changes, right? Luckily, I had replicas of the military around my house. I had my father's trophies, his army stuff, his jacket stuff. I would wear those things, and I would wear my father's stuff, and I would look in the mirror, and I would, like, be empowered, right? And I was looking in the mirror. I was doing, I started doing push-ups and I'm like, I'm going to join the military because my parents both dropped out in the ninth grade. So I knew I wasn't going to college. So I started, started doing little things that made me feel good. I wanted to be in the army. I wanted to be in the military. I just wanted to fight in this, for this country. And that stuck with me. And my, my mind was made up to join the military at nine years old. I was done. So I said, now I got to, now I, nobody's going to bully me anymore. I stopped peeing in the bed in the seventh grade. I stopped sucking my thumb in the sixth grade. Um, we lost the house. So I was living with another lady I didn't know. My mother's on one side of town. My brother and sister were gone. So I'm like, I'm a little 11-year-old grown man, right? I wasn't afraid of the streets, and so I got sucked into the streets. I was I was afraid of women because of the molestation and being raped, and I was like, I don't know which way to go. So I, I created this little strong little monster. I started working out, and I just got little. I became tough. I became mentally stronger. Because of the people that gave up on me, I was on my own. So I was on my own since I was 11. It came. I got back with my dad. Left my dad. Went to the military. So I, I got my had my parental guidance there. But for as a young kid, if I'm in the streets at 11, nothing bothered me. 
And that's why I was able to buy my first prostitute at 15 years old. That didn't scare me. I'm driving down, still my father's car when he's at work, driving downtown Cleveland, 15 years old, messing with older women. But that came from my addiction to porn. I like older women. Women my age couldn't do anything for me because they weren't developed enough. I want to see a fully developed, grown woman, and that's what I want. If she got me, I got her. And that's why I work, and when you read in that book, when I work with Miss, I call her Miss Mizzy, whatever her name was, but <clears throat> I know her name. But I was working for her to, to make money, not to buy clothes, but to buy candy for the girls in the neighborhood and to buy, have money for my prostitutes. I okay. want Back then, it was $20, and so it was cheap. So I was very, very confident at a young age. And so I knew then I'm ready for the military because the military is how much you drink, how much you fight, and how many women you can have, period. Physically yeah. fit, good. But I just didn't know if I could pass the test. And I found out that I couldn't four times, and I finally passed it. Yeah. God. Okay, you have left me speechless because my mind is – I'm, I'm thinking about all the details, how so much of our story is parallel. Um, I could have at any one point, Leon, we're close enough in age, I could have at any one point been one of those prostitutes that you would have purchased. Easy. Easy. Because I was like, I'm going to, you know what, Cher, the sad part about it is that I went into the Navy and my lust for prostitutes didn't go away. It got worse. Yeah. Because now, I'm ex- you know how military men, I'm exposed to women, exotic yep. women all over the world. You think mm-hmm. I'm going to stop doing it now at 18? And a pocket full of money, and I was doing it at fifteen with thirty dollars in my pocket. Now yeah. I got thirty dollars in my pocket. And we pull in the Philippine Islands, and they import thousands of women into the, the Masasa Avenue. Look it up; it's uh, it's in the Guinness Book of World Records for having the most bars on one strip. Yep, I know. I'm familiar with the strip. Yeah. How am I going to get over my addiction to porn? And I got all these women around me. Yep. I was just I. I Military, I love the Navy, but for a long time, it just made me sicker. It does. It tends to. Oh, yeah. It can. It, it makes, really can. makes you arrogant. I've been all around the world, and every time we pulled into a port, women are lined up on the pier. The bars are wide open. The brothels yep. are wide open. The clubs are wide open. We do what we want to do, and that's why military men can be so arrogant and cocky, because when we come back to our own hometown, for me, Cleveland, Ohio, I expected the women in Cleveland treat me like the women treat me overseas. It was like, you went to the Navy, they changed you. You cocky, you arrogant. I've been, I'm like, I've been this way. But, yeah, I am. And I would be very, like, up in your face, like, okay, so you, you ain't give me none tonight? All right, I'll go talk to somebody else. It had to be done. That was my, I, was, I had to feed my demons. I wasn't ready to change. I wasn't ready to mature. I wasn't ready to settle down. I'm like, all these women are for me. This is my, these are my, my ladies. And I was say stuff like that i meant it right and i did it and then when they would fall for it go for it i see you i see you were hurt leon but i i'll see you tomorrow i know blah, 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 blah. i know you're in town for a week but i want to get up with you i'm hook up with you all right back ain't no love trust me there's no love coming from leon a bunch no, of no there's not yeah but is there now yeah. Is there now? What's the, what's the new you? Because you wrote that in your book that we have this opportunity to find the new you. Right. So I always wanted a mother figure. Mm-hmm. Okay. And some women get that wrong. I don't want I don't want a woman to always cook for me, clean for me. I can do all of that. I want somebody to listen to me. I want somebody that has their life course in sync with mine to understand me. I want to understand her. I want her to teach me. Okay. I want I want to lift her up. I want her to lift me up. 
I want us to communicate, not take turns talking. I dated the narcissist, and we took turns talking, and that irritated the hell out of me. We one up each other, and I was like, ugh, you know, she was pretty. But she was so so narcissistic, she became ugly to me. I'm like, you are just pitiful. But I was, was pitiful, right? So I, I like a woman. like I like to laugh. I like to have fun. My biggest thing is about being, you know, being honest, you know, telling her, all, I tell her I'm so open now because I don't want to have any secrets. I don't want to leave a woman stranded. I don't want to have a woman yeah. facing. I don't want to hurt women anymore. Before, when I hurt women, I was like, it felt good to hurt women because it was hard to care, but it was easy to not care. And I'm like, I'm going to hurt you yeah. now, but I'm going to understand you. I'm going to master you so I can always come back. I want that door to be open. I don't care who you're dating. I don't care who likes you. There's no other Leon in this world. Trust me when I tell you. I would say those things. And then the moment she let me come back, I said, I told you so. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. He didn't do this. <clears throat> Leon, but you you don't love me. But I show you love. You know what, Cher? My father showed me love. He didn't tell me he loved me. He showed me love. He bought me things. He provided. I'm a provider, 100%. I like to buy nice gifts. I like to touch. You know, I like to communicate. I have the love languages, all of them now. <clears throat> I fought them for years. My father's father didn't tell him he loved him. He showed him love. My father had a car. He had the utilities to pay. They had food in the house. They had clothes. So my father did the same thing to me, and I did that to my son. So I didn't teach him how to love. You know, I taught him how to understand what they think, what I thought love was, that it was wrong. So I mm -hmm. missed him for a long time, right? My daughter has my mother's traits. My daughter's no joke. So I had I understand her. But anyway, I um, what was I saying about the, what was it, we were talking about the, um, the new you? Yeah. 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 And so now what I want, I want that. I want a woman to be, feel free with me. I want her to feel secure with me. You know, mm -hmm. I want me. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to disrespect a woman anymore to be flirting. And all. I don't even like to do that. I don't, those things before was because I wasn't secure because I knew in a relationship, <clears throat> I have to always have a supply because I'm going to be on, I'm going to be gone in 90 days. I'm out. I ain't yeah. But like towards it, 90 days, sorry. Pulling back more and more and more, and then I'm gone. I'm out. I don't like you like that. I don't definitely don't love you. I like you, like you, like you, but I can't stick around because I know you're going to be addicted to me, and you're going to want me to commit, and I'm going to feel smothered when you want me to commit. I'm going to feel smothered when we're in a relationship to hug and cuddle. I didn't like cuddling. I didn't like hugging. Hug, hug, hugging. I didn't like holding hands. I ain't going to do all of that. It's like we're going to laugh. We're going we're gonna to drink. We're going to have sex and go to sleep and get up and watch ESPN and start my day over. That was it. I was very... Very shallow, right? I was very insignificant in a relationship. One-sided, okay. Yeah, but I can do everything that, that that she required, but it was temporary. I didn't have longevity. I didn't have staying power. I didn't. Okay. Because I was always halfway out. How would say you're dating right now? We're just going to do a, a scenario here. If you're dating right now, how would your date? How would your significant other know which Leon they're with? Because, and see, that's a problem. This is a problem I'm, I'm going to have because I scare women with my videos because it's so natural. Mm. You can't. There's no way you change, Leon. I've, my, first of all, my change is the fact that I can talk about these things now. Yes, I never, yes. I never said, I never talked about these. I talked about them in my book, some of it. And then in June, I, I posted a video about narcissism and it went viral. Um, but, I'm open and honest. I don't like to play games. I don't want no secrets. I don't want to shock you. I don't want to. So what I realized, Cher, is that when I was breaking away from these women when I was leaving, I wasn't just hurting them, but I was hurting their parents, hurting their mom, 
Go go in depth into hurt. that. Okay. Okay. Because, and I didn't think about that. Because the mothers, like I told you, I was always addicted, attracted to the mom, because I wanted I wanted that nurturing type of feeling. I wanted that. Okay. Hey, mom, give me a hug. I don't remember hugging my mother that often. I learned how to hug in my forties by my boss. I used to always watch him hug women. He'd be like, "Oh, it feels so good." Hugs didn't mean a darn thing to me, right? <clears throat> but I always. Uh oh, we're unstable. Hurting their mother. Okay, there it is. Somebody keep. I realized I was hurting their mother uh, when I would break away from these women, when I would be disrespectful, when I would cheat. And I never thought about that until later on. You know, dang, man, you hurt their mom, their dad, their brother. I did it to my ex-wife. Her parent, her family, I came in and I dis- disrupted the whole family. Family was very close. Parents have been married for 30-some years. And I cheat. And they still love me to this day. It's, I was unfair to them. Not just my wife, ex-wife, but I wasn't afraid of her mother, father, or brother because they let me into their home, into their household, let me into mm-hmm. their life, and I, I disrespected them. You know, I deceived them. I wasn't the loving husband that they thought I was. I wasn't the loving type of guy that she thought I was before she married me. I wasn't that dude. <clears throat> but I wanted to keep her. Uh, I couldn't just leave her. I wanted instead, of, in, in, in order for me to stay with her, I had to marry her. She made that clear, and I married her, but I wasn't, I wasn't ready to be married. I was yeah. never groomed to be a groom. I can't blame it on my brothers and my father and my uncles. I had great moral, I had great uh, examples in my life, but I wasn't ready to be married, but I tried to force it on myself, and I wound up cheating. Thank you for listening in to this first part of the conversation that heals with Leon Walker. Parts of this may have been a little bit difficult to wrap your mind around or even to understand. However, I think in the second part, Leon goes a little bit deeper into the implications and the nuances of what it means to be a narcissist as he answers some of the questions from the listeners from the Instagram live that this show was recorded from. Click on over to part two.